we continue in our autumn series of seeking justice together and caring for the vulnerable. We do this by reading from the Acts of the Apostles, our account of the origins of the early church and the early Christians' communitarian spirit. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and our souls as we listen across the centuries of the story of our forebearers in faith. The whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Good news of the Holy Spirit, Thanks be to God. I'm curious how many of you had a chance to read the pastor's blog this week. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, thank you, those of you who did. It's not a shaming moment, it's just an awareness moment that it's out there for you. But what I said in is it's a real privilege when you can serve in a church where you celebrate people being called to ministry. If you look on the back of our order of worship, it says, who are the ministers of United Parish in Brookline? All of us. All of us who come here, we all have ministries, all have gifts and passions, that's the bedrock of our understanding of ministry here. And some of us are even called to ordained Christian ministry. And so I noted for you in the blog this week that in two weeks we plan to finally install our associate pastor of four years, Amy Norton, as our settled associate pastor. 
And two weeks after that, we're going to have an ordination of our own lifelong member, Lexi Boudreau, who will be ordained to Christian ministry. About this time last year, I received an email from one of our high school students saying he had a project week at his high school. And it was a pretty open book, I think, about what he could do. But what he wanted to do was to follow his pastor around. Now, that's a great gift for a pastor. And I figured after he went through about six or seven meetings, he would say, that's not for me. But he joined me uh, last week, and Amy and the rest of the staff, all on Zoom mostly, a little bit in person, I think, to find out what it was like to be a pastor. He also spoke to us last year with the confirmation class and gave us his faith statement. And then I said, if you're really serious about this ministry business, let's have you preach. And so today, I am grateful, and you will be grateful, that Charles Brannan agreed to come and preach for us as he is exploring his own call to Christian ministry among us. So please welcome our own Charles. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words teaching us of the Holy Spirit's compelling grace and ask that as you were with Peter and John and Jesus's earliest followers, you are again with us today teaching us how to help the needy in our community. May these words of our mouths and these meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Needs, we all have them. No matter where we are on life's journey, there are places that all of us are falling short. Things that prohibit us from being who we want to be and where we want to be. As we just heard, the early church came together, led by Peter and John, and when they were together, we see members of the congregation selling their possessions and giving money and resources to the greater good of the community. The people came together, laying all the gifts at the feet of the apostles to be redistributed based on need. For some context, our story comes from the book of Acts, which follows the origins of the very small, politically unfavored early church after Jesus had died and resurrected and it studies the way that the Holy Spirit works through these people. Peter and John had been imprisoned for the preaching of Jesus' resurrection to the town people. And after staying overnight, they were brought in front of Annas, the high priest, and many other elders 
for what they were promoting at that time was not only a neo-religious movement, but a political uprising, a rebellion of sorts. So to tame the movement before it could grow and become very widespread, they were placed in prison. And they were only released when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They remained truthful in the face of their judges to Jesus Christ, continuing to testify of his power. And after returning to their people, we are told that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But what must that have felt like? I like to imagine that they felt free. They felt that there had been a burden that had been lifted. There was an excitement that surged around all of them. Diving into our passage, we see the impact of the Holy Spirit among the earliest followers. The first line tells us that all believers were one in heart and mind. And I think we should just take a second and really think about what does it mean to be one in heart and mind? How can that even be possible? Try to think about a time when we can say we've been of one heart and mind with a community. It's hard to do in our workplaces, schools, and homes. I, I argue that we aren't of one heart and mind, for we're not all truly united. This, of course, only furthers the incredulity of these people that we are reading about, for they weren't a family. I like to imagine a field expanding as far as the horizon, massed with people. I believe if we were in that situation, we wouldn't even know half of those people. And yet, they were all able to connect and be of one heart and mind. And through this, we see all of them sharing their gifts for the greater good of the community. The Holy Spirit taught them that the benefit of the community will always outweigh the benefit of the individual. Naturally, this begs the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Back in February, I came before all of you, and I claimed that the Holy Spirit was akin to water vapor. It envelops all of us, and it gives us the capacity to understand and connect with one another. And while this is still true to an extent, I now know there is more to it. I began to think, what is it 
that allowed Peter and John and everyone else to have no needy persons among them. What is it that allowed those in the early church community to come together? What is it? What is that compelling force that inspired Barnabas to sell his property for this small, upstart community? Imagine this story took place today in our very congregation. What would it take for us to give all that we have, leaving nothing in our names? Let's picture us going around, and instead of placing money in the offering plates, as we've been so accustomed to doing, instead placing our credit cards, our deeds to our properties, and everything else that we assume to be ours. How would this type of sharing, the sharing that happened in the early church, make us feel? I imagine to many of us in our 21st century minds, this would feel like a very large sacrifice. We might find ourselves thinking, well, hold on, I made this. Why do I have to give this to you when it's mine? And from our 21st century minds, that is a very real response. But it's clear that this is not the way that those in our story felt. We see that those two millennia ago created an early church communist society with the Holy Spirit at the helm of the ship. So this should make us think, does God want us to be an early church or a communist society? And regardless of how you may feel, that is not practical for us to do on our own. For as we saw with Barnabas, and so many others, it was the Holy Spirit that freed them, the Holy Spirit that allowed them to have the inspiration that was required. So how does one know if they've been inspired, and is it even in our control? Peter tells us in his Pentecost sermon that to be visited by the Spirit, we must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, to be visited by the Spirit, we must do what we're doing here today, growing together and learning together under God. As I opened with, we're all needy in some capacity. 
I believe the main difference comes in the ways that we are needy. It's clear that the biggest problem to those 2,000 years ago was not having enough food, not having enough resources, and being thrown in prison. And we can all agree those are still very present challenges that we face today. But there is more. Two years ago, I met an online friend named Tom. And he and I became closer than any other friend I had at that time. But as school turned virtual due to the pandemic, his mental health steadily declined. I remember one day when he wasn't responding to any of my texts. And that was very unusual for him. And it wasn't until the following day that I truly learned what had happened. He had been on the verge of ending his life. And after hearing this, a friend and I were enveloped with love and inspired by the Holy Spirit to help him. And through our efforts and the efforts of many others, he's in a better spot now. But unfortunately, his story is not unique. Speaking for my school community, mental health issues affect the majority, not the minority. Scarier yet, often we don't know about the struggles one has until they come to us on their own volition. For these problems are very internal. Moreover, in today's society, we see discrimination based on race. Prejudice and judgment based on sexual orientation and gender expression. We see extreme wealth disparity and so many more problems than those that were prevalent 2,000 years ago. There are many places that we and our community are falling short, and the Holy Spirit inspires us to support each other, not only with money, as was done before, but with time and talents and patience, and most importantly, love. While talking to my history teacher preparing for today, she asked me, it's great that you think God calls us to love, but what does that mean? And to be honest, I had never thought about it. To me, love was just giving love. But after sitting with it, I came to 1 Corinthians, which tells us, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy nor boast. 
Love is endless. To me, love is caring for one another. It's seeing someone sitting alone during lunch and befriending them. It's helping not only those who are being afflicted, but those who are doing the afflicting, no matter how hard it is. It's spreading the compassion of Christ, and it's being there for one another, regardless of the time of day. It's clear that this type of love, this level of bonding, is what can allow us to feel satiated with one another. And it's what can allow us to have enough both monetarily and emotionally. I believe that the Holy Spirit compels all of us to show love to one another each and every day just as John and Peter and Barnabas and so many more did 2,000 years ago. God recognizes the omnipresent challenges that we face and knows that our needs are often very deeply rooted. Our Creator desires us to reach out to one another and allow the compelling grace of the Holy Spirit to achieve the impossible through us, to ensure that everybody is being helped in all the ways that they weren't before. Through the Holy Spirit, we will be inspired and we will be able to understand every member of our community, giving them a hand to hold and a shoulder to lean on as they fight their own unique battles. Only then, God tells us, will all of us truly have enough and will we really be able to be one in heart and mind as was done so long ago. Amen.